Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here, and a very warm welcome to you if you are watching online. As Beth said, we're starting a new series that we have called Trust God. And um, I've just been so aware recently that we are in a moment that is extremely complicated. I think there's, there's more tension and stress in our nation and in our world than we've ever known. Would you agree? We're living in the, the shadow of a, a global pandemic, living through wars and rumors of wars, famines, floods, climate change, energy, energy crisis, extreme poverty, social degradation, law-breaking politicians, and of, co- of course, we are now in the grief and the loss of our queen. We have loud and overt cultural agendas that fly directly in the face of what it means to follow Jesus. I read an article a couple of weeks ago in Christianity Today where BCP Council are applying for a PSPO, which is a public space protection order. And if this order gets passed, it would stop people, people from audibly praying out loud in public, reciting scripture, genuflecting, i.e. being on one knee, sprinkling holy water, or even crossing themselves. Now, this order is, is, is specifically talking around an abortion clinic. I don't really know exactly all the details to it, but think about this. If that order gets passed... What stops them from doing it again in the center of town or in Winton or when we're out on the streets? As we step into this new academic year, with everything that's going on in our world, we need to allow God's word to reset our hearts and empower us afresh to be faithful in our pursuit of our King Jesus and living his kingdom life no matter what what the future holds. In essence, to prioritize afresh as a community, the one who holds the future. So to start this morning, we're going to get into God's word, and there is one kind of overarching verse that I want us to look at that permeates through all of what I want to say this morning. And it's from 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Let let this speak to your hearts. It says this. It says, humble yourselves. I've said it a lot recently, haven't I, in the past few months. Humble yourselves. We would all do very well to recognize that we need to humble ourselves. We don't get it right all the time, and we can humble ourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I want us to park just for a little while here on those first five words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God. See, in our brief time together today, I want to talk about being under God and try and answer the question, How do we, as apprentices of Jesus, live under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile towards God? 
How as disciples of Jesus do we faithfully love the king and live the kingdom life in a culture that's becoming increasingly anti-Christ? But before we talk about how we live under God, first we need to try and identify what we're currently under. On the screen, a little slide's going to come up that's going to show some numbers uh, between 1 and 10. And I want each of us to try and identify today what we're currently under. Are we under God or are we under culture? When we look at our lives, what is influencing us? Are we under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Is he influencing our decisions, our steps? Is he moving our emotions? Is he leading us each day? Or are we more under culture, that the systems and the structures of this world? Now, you might be here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and you're like, John, I don't even believe in God. So you might say, well, obviously, I'm under culture. I'm like a a one or, or maybe a two. But maybe you're sitting here or watching and you're saying, you know what, I'm really passionate about Jesus. I'm definitely under God. I'm like a seven or I'm an eight. So to help us, to try and understand what we're under, what's influencing us, culture or God, we're going to briefly look at a few different things. Let's start with what entertains us. Like when you watch something or you listen to something or you read something, Would you say you're under the influence of God? Like before you watch, read, or listen to something, are you consciously thinking to yourself, is this going to honor God? Is this going to help build and grow my faith? If the answer is no, then maybe we kind of stay away from it. If the answer is yes, then maybe we just crack on. We'd watch, we'd read, we'd listen. Or would you say that the things that that entertain you are influenced by culture. You literally just get that next recommendation about Netflix and you just watch it. There's no kind of thinking about it. You don't research anything to do with it. You're not really bothered if there's lots of sex in it or it's got sick humor in it or it's crude in any way. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, do you know what? It doesn't really matter what music I listen to. It doesn't matter what I read. It doesn't matter what I feed my eyes. When we look at what entertains us, are we more under God or under culture? Well, let's talk about another category. Let's talk about our money. Maybe you get paid once a week or maybe you get paid once a month. When you receive money, finance in any way, what do you do with it? What influences what you do with it? Would you say that your finances are under God? Do you recognize that money is a gift from God? Do you have a heart posture that says, I want to worship God with the very first that comes into my bank account? Do you think I want to give my first fruits or or maybe give a tithe, 10% or, or maybe more? Do you think I want to give back to God out of his goodness to me? Do you intentionally make sacrifices in order to extend the kingdom of God and invest in his bride, his church, to make a difference in the world, when it comes to your money, are you under the influence of God? Or would you say, probably, my money is more under the influence of culture? Like, do you even think about God when it comes to your money? 
Maybe you never give out of faith, out of your first. Or maybe sometimes at the end of the month, if you think about it, you'll give something back out of what you can afford. See, culture has the ability to drive us and consume us. We get bombarded all the time, don't we, with the very next thing we've just got to purchase. We have this kind of this false notion that this new gadget that is advertised on Facebook or Instagram is going to change our lives. And ultimately, it doesn't, does it? When it comes to our money, would you say you're more under the influence of God or under the influence of culture? Let's think about the words that we say. What about the words that you've said even in this last week? Would you say that your words are under the influence of God? Like as you spoke to people in this last week, were they life-giving, God-honoring, encouraging? Were they pointing people towards eternity and towards the king of eternity, Jesus? Or would you say that your words are more under culture? You know that you've been curt with people. Maybe you've cut them down. Maybe you've been even hateful or unfairly critical with your words. Maybe you've been harsh with your spouse. Or maybe you've been harsh with your children. Or maybe you've been involved in gossiping about other people. When it comes to your words, would you say that you're more influenced by God or by culture? Last one. How about your self-worth? How do you feel about yourself? Would you say that you're under the influence of God? You're the kind of person that says, it doesn't really matter what they think about me. Uh, My security is found in who I am in Jesus, in what God says about me. That's where my value is found. Or would you say that your worth is more under the influence of culture? Your self-worth comes actually from how many likes you get on the posts that you put on social media. And when there's no likes, you don't feel valued. Is your self-worth under the influence of God or under the influence of culture? And here's the thing. Many of us don't really know. We don't know what influence we're under. Let me try and illustrate this. How many of you, honestly, have ever been around a drunk person? Raise your hand. (laughs) Lots of you, sadly. Okay. If you've ever been around somebody who is under the influence of alcohol, they don't always know. They don't always know they're under the influence of alcohol, do they? They're like, I'm I'm not drunk. Quite clearly, they are drunk. Something on the outside is influencing what comes from them on the inside. And what happens when people are under the influence of alcohol is it influences how they think. True? After a few drinks, the percentage of attractive people goes up. (laughs) After a few more drinks, the person starts to think they're attractive. The more the person drinks, the uglier they get, the more attractive they think. When people are under the influence of alcohol, it lowers their guard, and people are way more susceptible to do stupid things that they would never do otherwise, because they're not aware of the influence they're under. What if, 
We've been so intoxicated by our culture that we're not even aware that we're under its influence. What if we're so poisoned by the thinking of this world that we don't even realize how far we've drifted from God? Humble yourselves, church, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So how do we? In this very complicated world and moment in time, live under God in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward God? Well, the answer to this is found in a book in the Old Testament called Daniel. So I'm going to share a bit of the context here. We'll look at a few verses, and then I'm going to hone in on one specific verse. See, Daniel in the Old Testament was raised worshipping God, worshipping Yahweh. Then we have this king, Nebuchadnezzar. He was this evil king. He came into Jerusalem with his Babylonian army. They completely destroyed Jerusalem, uh, Daniel's homeland, uh, and they burned the temple to the ground. And this uh, evil plan that they had was that the Babylonians were going to kidnap, take prisoner the brightest of the bright, the best of the best of the Jewish uh, men, and Daniel was one of them, basically with a view to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. So to actually long term, these very talented, very bright young men would become Babylonian leaders in their government. We read part of this story uh, in Daniel 1, starting in verse 3. It says this. It's going to come up on the screen. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without, physical, without any physical defect, defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. What does he do? He was to teach them their language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Just to point out here, this food wasn't normal food. This food was food that was dedicated to pagan gods. Continue in verse 5, it says they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they will enter into the king's service. So what do we have? We have Daniel, who was one of several young men who were taken prisoner. We have the Babylonians. They're they're changing their language. They're educating. they're, 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 They're indoctrinating them with Babylonian views. They did that so that they would come under Babylonian culture under Babylonian thinking. A few verses down, they actually changed their names. They changed Daniel's name from being a name that reflected God to a pagan name that reflected their pagan gods. They even try and change their diet, right? They're trying to get them to eat food that is dedicated to pagan gods. Their goal was to bring people under the influence of of this Babylonian culture. And King Nebuchadnezzar here, he thought that if we can change the way they think, we can change what they believe. And if we can change the way that they think and what they believe, we can change how they behave. Don't forget, church, 
we have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. He is the devil and he is the father of lies. And he has an all-out attack against our minds to convince us of lies. Why? Because if he can change the way we think, he can change what we believe. And if he can change what we believe, he can change how we behave. He can influence us under the culture of this world. Every single day, I believe the enemy is lying to us to try and lead all of us into spiritual complacency. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you say, well, John, you know, I'm not a Muslim, and I'm not a Hindu, I'm not anything like that. I go to church kind of every now and then. I pray every now and then. I read my Bible when I kind of remember Look, my conviction today is that some of us, even without realizing it, have become more under culture than under God. The question is, how do we get there? See, I believe the answer is that we need to recognize, embrace, and believe that we cannot follow Jesus half-heartedly. We never just kind of fall into holiness. Oh, suddenly, oh, I can't believe I'm more holy today than I was yesterday. Like we can't just suddenly have a passion for Jesus that just grew out of nowhere. Uh, Do you know what I mean? We can't see the sin in our life that's been gripping us for years and holding us hostage suddenly go and suddenly we have this enormous hunger to read the Bible. We never stumble into righteousness. We can't do what I call the Christian hokey-cokey. One foot in one foot out, in, out, in, out. You know how the song goes. And I think we know this. We do know this, yet we often forget. And I think it's because we don't recognize how under the influence of culture we really are. Think about any other area of our lives. We can't kind of do things half-hearted and become better. Think about it. Let's take our bodies. Let's uh, say that you want to get fit, and you come to me, and I say, so what's your plan? And you're like, I'm going to get super fit this year. I'm going to go to the gym once a month. I'd be be like, what? Once a month? If someone said that to us, we'd laugh, right? What if someone came to you and said, you know what? I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to change some things about my diet. And you know some people like have a cheat meal once a week or whatever. Imagine if they came to you and they basically said, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to have a healthy meal once a week. You'd be like, that's nuts. That's never going to happen. Imagine if I say to you, you know, I want to uh, have an incredible marriage with Alice, my wife. It's going to be, it's a really, really good marriage. And I'm going to be nice to her at least once a week. It's not going to happen, is it? And yet, for so many of us, apprentices of Jesus, we want to be close to Jesus, we want to be under God, but we're like, oh, I'm just going to go to church once a month. That's it, nothing else. I'm, I'm not going to pick my Bible up. I'm not going to fully commit myself to serve the vision and extend the kingdom of God on earth. And what has happened, really, is we've become under the influence of culture and almost unknowingly started to put our hope again in the temporary world and people that can never really meet our needs, instead of 
putting our hope and our trust in a God who is always good, who is always faithful, even in our most difficult times. So why did Daniel stay faithful to God? Why did he stay faithful to God when everything in the Babylonian culture was trying to bring him under its seductive influence? Well, there's one little verse, a little bit further down, that gives us the answer. And I want us to apply this in our lives. Verse 8 says this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. But Daniel resolved... Daniel made a predetermined decision. He predecided. He resolved himself under God. And the most amazing thing about Daniel is he didn't kick up a stink when they changed his name. They changed his name, and he was like, you know what? That's just an outward label. I know who I am in God. He didn't defend his own name, but when someone tries to attack, attack the name of God by trying to get him to eat defiled food, he's like, no one defames the name of God. I've made a predetermined decision. I'm not eating this stuff uh, that's sacrificed to pagan gods. So how do we live under God in a culture that's increasingly hostile towards God? We make some predetermined decisions. Yeah? Coming into land. By way of uh, response, I don't want us sitting here, maybe as I've been talking, some of you have, have been thinking about where you are on that scale. James, you pop it back up. And you've been thinking, oh, there's a million and one things that I need to change. There's a million decisions that I need to make to come under God. I don't want you to do that right now. What I want all of us to do today is make one decision. One decision. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us one resolution that we might make to help us change from uh, drifting mindlessly under culture and take a step back to coming under God. We're going to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, to help us work out what decision we individually need to make, I'm going to share with you a few predetermined resolutions and decisions that I've made along the way. The first decision I made a long time ago, 20 years ago, and I've shared this with you before, when I came to faith in Jesus, is that I would spend time with him every day. I've also told you, my conviction, is that the beginning of the day is really important to give the day to God. So every morning for the last 20 years, I will get myself into the Bible. I will get myself into accepting, receiving, chewing on the bread of life. And of course, like many of you, I've got a number of other daily readings that I will dip in and out to. It's really important to recognize the lordship of Jesus in your life. And I think the beginning of the day is really important. Not an afterthought, first fruits, first thing that you do. I often then spend some time praying and I allow the Spirit of God to come and nourish my soul. Maybe some of you are saying, Do you know what, that's all fallen away in my life. Maybe that's the decision that you need to make. Maybe you need to not pick your phone up first thing and just read the news or Facebook or whatever. You need to spend time with Jesus. 
Another decision that I made as a baby believer was that I was going to strive for sexual purity. The issue that I faced back then when I was making this decision was that I was living with Alice and we had a physical relationship. I knew Jesus and she didn't. And also, like many of my peers growing up, I grew up under culture having watched pornography pretty much all the way through my childhood and into my young adulthood. I knew in those early days, when I gave my life to Jesus, that God had ordained lovemaking to be between husband and wife, reserved for the context of marriage. So I made a decision. You can imagine the conversation with Alice was quite difficult when I was having that uh, very first conversation with her, but I did, and I suppose we did. We made a commitment to honor God with our bodies, with our lives. And uh, of course, that whole process of, of prayer, of talking, of accountability, of sharing with other people these issues that we faced was so important to us. It helped us, spirit-led, to put really clear boundaries in place so that we wouldn't fall into temptation. Many of you know this. We had a beautiful flat back in those days. We had all of the trappings of what the world says is, uh, you know, that values you and that you should have in a relationship. And I remember that we gave everything that we owned away and we moved out of the flat that we lived in. And I'll tell you right now that some of my closest family, at the time when I told them we were doing that, literally said to me, beep, 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 you're going to lose the best thing that's ever happened to you. That's your wife. Uh, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but you're going to lose Alice. Because they didn't understand what it means to live under God. We lived apart. We worked on our relationship. We seek God for purity in our lives. And of course, the rest is history. God's transformed our lives. We are married. We have children. We're leading a church. It's amazing what God can do. Um, 20 years ago, one of the other decisions that we made, and again, it's a predetermined decision, was that we understood that our money comes from God, and we wanted to give back generously to God through the local church. And for 20 years, Alice and I, I mean, we were convicted that we wanted to give a tithe, or at least a tithe, every single month for the extension of the kingdom of God through the church. We pre-decided, we made a resolution that God has blessed us with money and we want to worship him back with at least a tithe. And 20 years ago, we set up a standing order so we didn't have to think about it. And every single month, the first money that goes out of our bank goes to God and goes to his church. And let me just say this, 20 years ago, I was on benefits. And 20 years ago, we were in financial difficulty. And I know some of you may uh, disagree with this, but our conviction was that is still all from God. <laughs> that was God's blessing to us at that time. And we still gave back to him out of our first. I also, and this is way before I became a pastor, resolved myself to the fact that the church is the hope of the world. So I've always served, I've always given of my, my talents, my treasure, my time to the church to meet the needs of the world. My understanding was back then and still is, that's what it means to be the people of God. Jesus didn't say, I'll build my government and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, did he? He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
We've made a predetermined decision, Alice and I, that we're going to serve the church. What have you decided? Because the pull of culture is so strong that if we don't constantly fight against it, we succumb under its influence. Maybe it is your time with Jesus. Maybe it is your money. Maybe it is you need to stop watching horror movies. Maybe you need to stop reading dodgy books. Wherever it is, whatever decision you're going to make, this is a good place to start. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the words in your marriage. Maybe it's how you speak to your children. Maybe it's before you leave your house every day, you're going to lay hands on your wife and your children and demonstrate to your children, this house is a house of prayer. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord is saying to you, but we're going to ask in a minute for the Holy Spirit to come and to show you if there are areas in your life where you're floating under the influence of culture and you make a decision to step back towards God. I'll end with this. The difference between culture and God is dark and light. It's good and evil. It's night and day. Think about this. This is the kind of things that culture tells us every single day. And think about how easy it is for us just to accept it, to get used to it, to get sucked into it, to embrace it without us even realizing we're coming under its influence. Culture tells us, promote yourself. It's all about you. You won't get anywhere in life unless you put yourself first. Jesus says, deny yourself. Humble yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Culture says, consume. Take, accumulate. Jesus says, it's way more blessed to give than it is to receive. Culture says, hate those who aren't like you. Hate them. And if they hurt you, you hurt them back. Curse those who mistreat you, the world says. The culture says. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Love those who hate you. It's night and dark. It's light and dark. Culture says, pursue things. Jesus says, pursue... uh, Sorry, culture says... Uh, pursue things. Jesus says, pursue eternity. Culture says, pursue happiness. Jesus says, pursue holiness. How do we live under God in a culture that's increasingly hostile towards God? We take one step, one predetermined decision to move towards God And God is calling us as a people, as a church family, to be humble, to be dependent on him, to come more under his mighty hand, that he may lift us up in due time. Guys, if we want to see revival, it first starts with us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.